Good morning again. Right, John? All right. As we uh, come to God's Word today, um, I will say today will be the most important thing you could ever hear in your entire life. And I literally, I don't care. I, Reader's Digest called, right? And I, and I, I won the whatever. Nope, that's not the most important thing. What we're going to hear today from God's Word, this subject in particular, is the most important thing you could ever hear in your life. I'm telling you, that is how serious this subject is. And so I enter it with fear and trembling. (laughs) If you remember from our introduction from Ephesians from last week, I said that the theme of Ephesians is the sovereignty of God. That God has full and total control over the affairs of this world. It may not look like it to us. We might say, well, how? If God's in control and God is good, why is this happening and why is that? God has full control of the world. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who can be His counselor? If I were to ask you today, do you believe this to be true? We'll take another survey. The majority of you would probably say, yes, I believe that God is sovereign over this world. But do we really believe that God is sovereign? Many struggle with the idea, not of the sovereignty of God, but the sovereignty of God over our salvation. As we look today at the book of Ephesians, we will see who salvation is from and who it is for. Our text for today is found in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. The 14, and as we go through the text today, just so you would know that in Greek, when Paul wrote this in Greek, verse 3 to verse 14, Paul didn't have verse numbers. It's all one long sentence, right? I'm famous for run-on sentences because I don't know about commas or periods or anything. That makes no sense to me. I remember a professor told me, if you're in doubt, put a comma, Um, and that's what I do. Um, (laughs) But it's one long one. So you may see me reading verses and you may say, wait, hold on. He missed. No, we didn't miss anything. It was on purpose. So kind of ignore a little bit the verse numbers. We'll see three things about salvation today. We'll see that it was planned. That it was purchased. And it was preserved. Actually, I'll tell you, we're only going to see that it was planned. We're not going to get past anything else today. But as we come to this passage today, we need to approach it with sobriety. Our text for today has been, the, has been has had the subject of controversy for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We tend to fall into three categories when it comes to the doctrine or the teaching of salvation. One, it's all God and it has nothing to do with me. Two, indifferent to it at all. I know Jesus loves me. That's good enough for me. I don't need to go further than that. Or three, it was my choice to choose God. I have free will. It was my choice to choose God. And I would say on that's all God and that's all Uh, uh, free will camps that uh, I just have in my mind. Have you ever seen the show The Good Doctor? Where he screams to the physician, I am a surgeon! I am a surgeon! It's sovereignty! It's sovereignty! It's sovereignty! It's free will! It's free will! It's free will! And like, we can't get past it. We need to approach it with sobriety. All three of these have pitfalls. All three views have pitfalls to them. And we are called to study to show ourselves to be approved by God. We need to study the subject of salvation. Will we know it fully? Absolutely not. I really like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones states it. This is what he says. We must approach it, therefore, carefully and prayerfully. 
The danger when considering such a statement is to be so charmed that is a statement of what is here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, is to be so charmed and enraptured by the sound of the words and the very arrangements of the word, words that we are content with some passing general effect and never take trouble to analyze it and thereby to discover exactly what it says. We may be content with a purely general aesthetic effect, with the result that we shall miss the tremendous richness of its content. We must be unusually careful, therefore, to analyze it, to question it, and to discover exactly the meaning and the content of every word. And we must do so in the light of the whole teaching of Scripture. Our passage for today is one of the richest passages of Scripture that tells us of God's plan for the ages. I hope today as we begin this study that we find a deeper hope, a deeper security in the sure and steadfast anchor that we have in the salvation of God for us. It is a salvation that is in Christ Jesus. As we listen today, put your current situation, however good, however bad, however painful it may be, try to put your situation into the context of what God is saying. By doing so, you will see how incredibly, uh, you will see God's great love for you and how incredibly secure your life actually is. Our life in Christ is secure because it was planned. So I'd ask you to stand with me as I pray and we would read God's most holy, life-changing word. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you, and I know that I come to you, Lord, not wanting in the least little bit to rest on my own knowledge, my own human understanding, my own human intellectual ascent into the subject of salvation. But we need you, Lord. We sang, speak, O Lord. Speak to us. We sang that they were truths from the dawn of time. Lord, that's what our passage will tell us today. That this teaching is from the dawn of time. And so, Lord, let us not be, let us not trifle with it, but take it with all its seriousness and all the joy that accompanies that, that we would see how great our God is. And we would see how blessed we are in Christ Jesus. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This is what God says to us today. I'm actually going to read from verse 1 all the way to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, in which He has blessed us in the Beloved, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We pray he adds his blessing to it. As we said, it was planned. Planned. Salvation was planned. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He begins his letter with the word. He's already did his introduction. He begins the body of the letter with the word blessed. That means somebody is to be blessed. We're to give blessing to somebody. He tells us who is to be blessed. Blessed means Uh, uh, worthy of praise or commendation. Eulogotos, from which we get our word eulogy. Right? Why is it we really wait till somebody's dead to say nice things about them? They can't even hear it. Right? Say nice things while they're alive. (coughs) Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one being in the universe. Only one of which only good can be spoken of. There is only one being in the universe who is good all the time. There is only one being in the universe who is truly worthy of praise. That being, of course, is God. God alone deserves our praises. The late Dr. R.C. Sproul correctly delineates between our blessing of God and His blessing of us. This is what he says. When God blesses believers, He bestows a certain favor upon them that they do not deserve. When they bless Him, that is when you and I bless Him. How do we bless God? We bless God in prayer. We bless God in obedience. We bless God in singing. We bless God when we just say, I thank you, God. When we bless God, it is an act of praise and adoration that He richly deserves. It is not an act of grace on their part to give benediction or blessing to the Almighty. In other words, we add nothing to God. God will survive just fine without our praises. God doesn't need our commendation of Him, our speaking well of Him to feel secure within Himself. Absolutely not. He is fully secure within Himself. It's quite the other way around. We need God's blessing upon us to feel secure about ourselves. We're always looking for affirmation. We can only give what is rightly due to God. Praise and blessing for such a great salvation. Paul says that this blessing is is to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, look what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Have you ever wondered what Paul means by God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? How is it that God is Jesus' God when Jesus is God? You ever wondered that question, or am I the only one? If you never wondered it, we'll just skip over it. But we're not going to skip over it, because it's important. Jesus acknowledged God as his God. Remember at the cross, and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we must go to Scripture to get the answer. Scripture is its own interpreter. When we don't understand something or we want some greater clarity, Scripture is the place to go, not necessarily first to commentaries or men's ideas. Those are good helps, maybe. But Scripture is its own interpreter. And what does Scripture tell us? First of all, Scripture does tell us that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus, as some religions would tell us, was not created. He eternally existed from all time. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus is the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Jesus is God. Jesus, the Son, became a man. Jesus is the only person of the Trinity to add the limitation of humanity to himself. The only person of the Trinity to add the limitation of humanity to himself. That's what John 1.14 tells us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when Jesus took on flesh, when He became a human being, God became His Father. Was He Father, Son, and Spirit from all eternity? Yes, but you understand what I'm saying. In time and space, God became His Father. That's how we can call God His Father. Just as God is the Father of all humans, whether they believe it or not, When Jesus became a human, God became his father. Because Jesus took on humanity, the limitations of humanity, he was now subject to all that humans deal with, except he did it without sin. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, being a human, being particularly a Jewish human, was obligated to follow the law of God. Jesus was obligated to have no other gods besides the true God. Jesus was obligated to love the Lord God, the Lord is God, with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, just as you and I are. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, sums this up for us in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, in other words, God's plan, when God's plan was to be enacted, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so when you see the phrase, God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, it's referring to the man part of Jesus. The God-man, born under the law. And this is why Paul says that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Look again what verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every blessing we have, every spiritual blessing we have is found in Jesus Christ. Every good thing that has come your way is from Jesus Christ. He says we are blessed in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that mean? I like what R. Kent Hughes says. He says the truth is Christ is in the heavenly realms and so are we. I'm not in heaven right now. Are you in heaven right now? No. He is there literally, and we are there representatively as members of his body. He is there as our head and brings our actual presence with him because we are in him. Well, you say, whoa, what's going on here? If I'm in Christ, if I belong to Christ Jesus, I am in Christ. Christ has me 100%. And where he is, I am. Even though I'm not, you understand what I'm saying? I am in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are where Christ is. And where is Christ? He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I right now. Christ is now in the heavens, as I said, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1.20 tells us this, And he worked in Christ that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Since Christ is in the heavens, we are to set our minds on heavenly things. That is to think God's thoughts after himself. Colossians 3 tells us this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where are you? You're in Christ. Set your mind on the things of God. 
how hard that is. We live in a culture that is pulling us and calling us to compromise, to say, oh, this isn't true, and, and to question everything except for their belief system. Question everything except what I say. That's what culture is telling us. And if you don't accept what I say, we're going to cancel you. We're going to do everything to harm you and hurt you. We need to set our minds into things which God says. Which God says in His Word. Thanks be to God for His Word who, lead, who guides us in truth. But being when Paul says, in the heavenly places... He refers not only to our blessings in Christ today, but of our blessing in Christ that existed before the world ever began. The ultimate blessing of God in Christ Jesus is our salvation. Let's look at it again. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So now we're going to get into the meat of it. The word chose. Chose. Eklogiomai. To pick, to single out, to select. We need to know what the words of Scripture say. The words of Scripture are absolutely important. They're God's words. We should want to know what the words say. God's word says that we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We can get stuck on the word choose. We tend to dismiss it or to make everything out of it. We dismiss it to our own hurt and we overstate it to our own hurt and to the hurt of those around us. We must know, and please listen to this, we must know that the dance of election and free will is one that does have a divine tension in it. How does it work? How can God choose and yet I choose? Free will and God's choosing is a mystery. We cannot fully comprehend it, but we can know what God has revealed to us. And we must learn to be content in what God has revealed to us. We should not, we cannot go beyond what Scripture reveals about this tension. I really, really like the way that the late James Boyce states this divine tension and how we should view it. Listen to this. He's talking about God choosing. He says, instead of destroying the value of human choices, election gives us a capacity for choosing that we did not previously, that we did not possess previously as unregenerate persons. I love that. That is so true. Instead of destroying the value of human choices, I have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice. You can get up and walk out right now if you want to. That's your choice. You have a choice to choose God or to reject God. But you also don't have a choice to choose or reject, to reject God. You, it works both ways. It gives us the capacity to choose what we previously would never choose. What he means is that we did not, what he means by we did not previously uh, possess previously as unregenerate persons is that prior to the Holy Spirit opening a person's heart, a person was not only unable, but unwilling to choose God. You were not only unwilling, you were unable to choose God. Again, where do we go? Where do we find that? In Scripture. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Doesn't want to. Romans 1 tells us that God is rejected by the willful suppression of the truth. We willfully suppress the truth of who God is. It's clear by nature that God exists. And yet man suppresses the truth. 
Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, writes this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The fact is, God did choose you. If you are in Christ, God chose you. You were enabled by the Holy Spirit to hear God's voice and respond positively to the blessing that God has given in Christ Jesus. Rest in that, church. Rest in that. Yes, you made a choice. You maybe said a sinner's prayer, whatever you came to faith in Christ. You did that. But it was God who opened your mind and your heart and so that you would make no other choice than to choose God. He changed your nature. And your nature was to say yes to God and no to the world. The great analogy that the late Dr. R.C. Sproul uses is true. Take a tiger. Have you ever seen the zookeeper feed a bowl of lettuce to a tiger? No. If you were to take a bowl of lettuce in front of a tiger... Or take your, take your dog. You put a bowl of chopped meat and a bowl of chopped lettuce in front of your dog. Which will the dog choose every single time? If your dog chooses lettuce, you need a new dog. All right? There's something drastically wrong with that dog. Get a new dog. He'll always choose the meat. That's the nature. And so God changes your nature. And you, of your own free will, choose the things of God. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? When did God choose you? When did God choose you? It's a great question. Because we may say, well, when I did this, when I met God's standards, when I said this, no. God chose you before the foundations of the world. Listen again what Scripture tells us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Before God created the heavens and the earth, before the opening verse of Genesis 1-1, God chose you if you are in Christ Jesus. I cannot believe I'm out hearing a thanks be to God. I'm not hearing amens. Don't say it now because I told you to. It should naturally come out of our hearts. Thanks be to God. He chose me before He said, let there be light. Do you not think when Jesus said, you are worth more than many sparrows, that he was just not meaning it? Of course he did. Before the foundation of the world. This is what in theological terms we call the covenant of redemption. You should know this, we've taught it here. The covenant of the redemption. And what is the covenant of redemption? In short, we'll be going through this. We're starting the first part, actually, right now. The covenant of redemption, which belongs within the Trinity alone. It is a covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. They made this covenant amongst themselves before the world was created, that we're going to create a world, we're going to create humans, they're going to rebel against us, and instead of us justly just destroying them, we're going to make a way for them to be redeemed. And this is how it's going to be. The Father plans salvation. The Son is going to purchase salvation. We'll learn that next week. And the Holy Spirit is going to preserve salvation. That's the covenant of redemption. For you and I in time and space, we call it the covenant of grace because it comes from God's unmerited favor for you. And for me. For what purpose did God choose you? You may be struggling to get past the fact that God chose. 
just as me before the foundation of the world. No, God chose you for a purpose because God doesn't do anything without a purpose. God is extremely purposeful. Everything he does has divine purpose to it. Everything he does works towards the accomplishing of his will. That's why sometimes when we ask God for something, we plead with God for something and it doesn't work our way, we have to say, well, this really is God's will. Listen to again, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Why did God save you? To be holy and blameless before Him. Don't forget the before Him. Holy, hagios, saint, set apart. Remember in our introduction what it means to be a saint. The fact that you are a saint if you are in Christ Jesus means that you were set apart, you were chosen, and you were chosen not only to be holy, but also to be blameless. Doesn't holiness cover blamelessness? Wouldn't you think it would? Yes, it does. We're talking about, well, blameless. Amamos, without defect, perfect, unblemished. Tonight, in Leviticus, we'll see that those who made a sacrifice had to bring an unblemished animal. You are unblemished before God. You are perfect before God. This is so important to understand. You cannot be saved... You cannot be saved if you are not holy and blameless. It is imperative that God chooses us to be holy and blameless before Him, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God chose you to be holy and blameless before Him. But I know that I sin. I know that I mess up in my life. So how am I holy and blameless before Him? The key is before Him. Where is Christ right now? In the heavenly realms. He is there figuratively. He is there really. You and I are there figuratively. And when we come to our heavenly Father, when we do sin, when we mess up, and we ask for forgiveness, we are positionally holy and blameless before God, as if though we never sinned. I know I just did. I asked for forgiveness. And so that from God's perspective, there's nothing to see here. The slate is clean. There's nothing there. Do we view ourselves that way? We need to learn how to forgive ourselves and move on sometimes. I've asked God for forgiveness. I've dealt with this. I'm not going to live in the guilt. I'm not going to live in the pain. I'm not going to live in the shame. No guilt, no chains, no shame. Redeemer. Don't we sing that song? It's true. Before God right now, you, if you're in Christ, are holy and blameless before Him. He chose you for that. And because positionally before God, We are holy and blameless in His sight. That means, that guarantees us that Christ will see us through to the very end. He will see us through to the very end. He will make sure, because it's His plan from the foundation of the world. Who can thwart God's plan? Nobody. Nobody. Satan's been trying for since he's been created. Well, since he fell of his own free will. He's been trying to thwart God's plan. And all he's ever been doing is falling into God's hands. You and I will never thwart God's plan. Ever. Ever. Thwart 
God's eternal plan for you. And what plans does God tell us He has for His children? Not to harm us, but to bless us, to give us a future and a hope. A hope that does not disappoint because it's the anchor of our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven right now, of whom we stand before holy and blameless. He will see us through to the end. I like what R. Kent Hughes says. He says, A God who chose you before time, when only He existed, will not leave you the victim to the time and tides of life. A God who chose you before time, when only He existed, will not leave you victim to the time and tides of life. In this world, we'll have trouble. Jesus has overcome the world. In this world, we'll be, temp- we'll be tempted to sin. And because I'm positionally holy and blameless before God the Father right now in heaven... It does not dissolve you and I of the need to sanctify ourselves today. We are not dissolved of that. Because God says I'm good, I can just keep doing whatever I want to do because I'm good before God because of Jesus Christ. It covers all of my sins. Yes, it does. But we are called to strive for holiness. Because of this I've been called to, I need to strive for what I've been called to. We are called to live pure and undefiled lives in this present evil age. We must ask ourselves, are we striving to be conformed to the image of Christ? If we're going to be honest, I may be doing really good right now. I might not be doing too good right now. I haven't really thought about it right now. You know, I really do need to think about this right now. We all need to think about that right now. We know that we are in Christ. We know that we are striving to obey His commands, if that's exactly what we're doing, striving to obey His commands. Remember our study from John. What did John tell us? And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Remember, that's not perfectly. I can't keep it perfectly, but I'm striving. There's an upward trajectory of which I'm going towards. That my mind is, I'm striving to have my mind fixed in the heavenly realms, to think God's thoughts after themselves, because that's where Christ is seated. I want to honor God in what I say, do, think, look at, and all of those things. I'm moving in that direction. Then you are going in the right direction. If you're apathetic to it, not thinking about it, then you're either destroying your own soul I guess that's really it. Can we have times of which we sin? Periods of sin in our lives and we're still truly saved? Absolutely. Because we'll always come out of those times. We will never be able to stay in a time of which we are disconnected from God. We'll never be able to say, I enjoy the stains of sin on my life. I enjoy the pain that it brings. I enjoy the emptiness that it brings. No, we'll never be able to say that. We'll say, you know what? This is empty. This is vain. This is pointless. Let me go back to my first love. But maybe you're asking yourself the question, why would God choose you or anyone else? You might actually be saying, well, why why would God choose? Don't ever look at it that way. Why would God choose so-and-so? No, why would God choose me? As we said, God does not need you. God does not need me. He needed no one. He didn't need to create this world. He was fine by himself. We do not in the... Words of Jerry Maguire, complete God. God chose you for the simple reason, to quote the late Bill Johnson, for the simple fact that God loves you. That's it. God loves you. His special affection is for you. It is upon you. He delights 
in you. Why was Paul an apostle of the will of God? Because God delighted in Paul. And if God chose you, if you are in Christ, God delights in you. How could we look for the approval of men when the sovereign God of the universe says, you have my approval. I love you. Look what it says in verses 4 and 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Predestined, porizo, to decide beforehand, before the foundation of the world. God decided beforehand. God marked out beforehand, as it were. This is just another way of saying choose. God predestined us for adoption. Look again what it says. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He adopted you. Wait, I have mom and dad. I'm not an orphan. I wasn't rejected. And God says you are God the Father. Remember, God is your Father, whether you recognize it or not. You are outside the covenant, outside the grace of God. And God adopted you, adopted me before time began. He brought us to make us His own. And we are the children of God because the Father Children of God the Father because of His great love for us. God chose and predestined you because He loves you and because it was according to the purpose of His will. Again, verses 4 and 5. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Because God decided to. Remember what the word will means from last week? Thelema. Not to be conceived as a demand, but as an expression or inclination of pleasure towards that which is like, that which pleases and creates joy. When it denotes God's will, it signifies His gracious disposition towards something, used to designate what God Himself does of His own good pleasure. God, out of his own good pleasure, chose his children. God, out of his own good pleasure, allowed the word of God, for faith comes by hearing and hearing is by the word of God, to penetrate your heart and mind through the Holy Spirit so that you of your own free will chose God, yet he chose you. God chose you for salvation because He loves you and He delights in you. God chose you according to the purpose of His own will and for no other reason than He had delighted in choosing whom He would for salvation. Salvation belongs to who? The Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we have no right to question God and what He's doing. God is good in all that He does. God is perfect and just in all that He does. His love is beyond being able to be measured. It is the amazing love of God for sinners such as you and I that makes all the difference. And it should make all the difference in how we view our lives. And since we have been chosen before time, before time even began, as I said, it means that God will not leave us as we have said, to the time and tides of life. This means that God not only has our end secured, but He's going to give us all that we need in between in this life. God Himself will be our contentment. He should be our contentment. We must, in this life, as Paul did, learn to be content in all situations. What made Paul content when he faced prison, beatings, all kinds of things? He says, because I'm secure in Christ Jesus. I'm content in that. Listen, listen closely. As children of God chosen before the foundation of the earth, we should never say, and it should never be in our heart, 
It should never be stuck on. God, I need X to be content. No. You don't need X to be content. Whatever that is for you. Whatever that is for you. Say, I need this to be content. What you are telling God. And what you are saying to God. And yes, we all have needs. We all have desires in life. We should ask God for those things. God, would you meet this need? And if He does, He does. If He doesn't, He doesn't. That's up to God. But when we place our peace in this world, in this life, upon having this, whatever it is, we say is going to make me content, help me to have peace, then we are saying that God's predestining of me to be His child is not enough. I need more than eternal life. Imagine how that makes God feel. No wonder He's jealous. Are you struggling with contentment today? Let's be honest, we all do. We all do. Then ask God, as Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, and we'll get there eventually, where he says, I pray that God would enlighten the eyes of your heart to the glorious inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus. For struggling with contentment, fix your mind on the goodness of God to you in Christ Jesus, even before the world was created. As the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In order to have this perfect peace, one must must be a diligent student of God's word. We need to not only be a diligent student, but a diligent follower. May we never, as James says, look into the mirror and forget what we look like. We forget who we are. God has blessed us in the heavenly realm before time began to be holy and blameless in His sight. God did this by adopting us to be His children. God blessed, chose, and adopted His children by the pleasure of His own will. God the Father planned it because of His great love for you. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Next week, fittingly so at communion, we will see how God the Son has purchased it. If you have any questions, any concerns about this, if I didn't make anything clear, or if I muddied the waters for you a little bit more, I pray that I did, and please come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. We'll be glad to clarify this for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such an incredible salvation. What an incredible salvation that you have given to us. See what manner of love the Father has loved us, that we would be called the children of God. Lord, we thank you for the security of your salvation from even before the world began. We thank you that you're going to carry us through to the very end. That you will not, as your word says, one hair of our head will fall. But you will bring us, body and soul, into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And so, Father, help us. Forgive us for not fixing our minds and help us to fix our minds in the heavenly places where Christ is seated and to strive to be holy and blameless for what other other reaction could we have to such a great salvation. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close on a song. As both a praise to the Lord... And a review of what was preached, we're going to sing, come praise and glorify again. Let's sing.
praise and glorify our God. Let us sing to him. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has in heavenly realms his blessings on us poured. For pure and blameless in his sight, he's destined us to be. We've been adopted through His Son eternally. To the praise, to the praise of Your glory, to the praise of Your mercy and grace, to the praise of Your glory. You are the God who saves. Hallelujah. and glorify our God who gives his grace in Christ in him our sins are washed away redeemed through sacrifice the spirit has been known to us the mystery of his will that Christ should be the head of all his purpose to fulfill. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory, you are the God who saves. Praise and glorify. Come praise and glorify our God, for we believe the word. And through our faith we have a seal, the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit guarantees our hope until redemption's done. Until we join in endless praise to God the three in one. To the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory. You are the God who saves the praise of your glory to the praise of your mercy and grace to the praise of your glory you are the God who saves Amen praise the Lord